0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Father, we thank you for the joy and the privilege and the wonder of coming together to worship you. Father, I pray as we gather today that you'd renew our hearts with an awe of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray as we worship you today that you'd allow us ears to hear the Easter story again, but afresh. Father, will we come into this place eager to not just fellowship together, that's so important, but more, God, to fellowship with you. And Father, we pray today that you would cause us, Lord, cause us in your glory and your grace to once again know the fullness of the power and the love of Jesus Christ for us. So easy to come in each and every week, God, and just come in expecting to do church. May that not be so today. Oh, God, make this uh, service alive in Jesus Christ. That's what we need, God. We need life in us. We can't produce it. God, only you can, so make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I invite you to take a seat this morning and turn through your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we're going to get into an Easter series. Um, Same old story, same old story, but praying it's fresh and new for us again. I I realize as a pastor, the temptation is to try and make something new come out of Easter. You know, I even know sometimes you guys come in thinking like, there's got to be something new about Easter, there's got to be something new. Guess what? It's the same story it is every year. That's the beauty of it, but I pray it never gets old to you. It's new in your heart today. And so we're going to take a different take on Easter, but same scripture, just kind of look at it from the fact of the injustice this year, the injustice that was done to Jesus Christ. We've taken different angles this year, simply the injustice that was done to Jesus Christ through Easter, which ultimately served as God's justice for all of sin and all of mankind. And so Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up, and I an should be happy to get you uh, God's word. Uh, please follow along, and if you don't have one at home, take it home with you today and, and read it and study it, for I know you'll find Jesus through it. But think about this with me this morning, the injustices done to Jesus on behalf of you and I. We talk about injustice a lot in today's world, don't we? All, all over the news, it's injustice, injustice, injustice. One of the greatest injustices ever happened in, that ever happened in Canada was uh, to a guy named David Milgard. Remember that story? The David Milgard story? For some of you guys, who's he? Who's he? For, for, for some of you young guys, who's he? For you old guys, you know. Let me remind you who David Milgard is. One of the, most, the greatest examples of injustice done in Canadian society. He was a 16-year-old guy from Saskatoon that was traveling across Canada with his buddies way back in 1969. So a long time ago. And as he's traveling around with his buddies, uh, there was a, a young nursing student murdered in Saskatoon, and as he was going to one of his buddies' uh, friend's house the same day that she was murdered, his buddy's name was Albert Kadraine, Cad- and he had, a young, he had a man living in his basement, his parents' basement, called Larry Fisher. He's the guy that actually did the crime. But as he's coming back to their house, uh, he didn't realize that this murder had been committed, and so uh, government was offering a $2,000 reward for anyone who'd snitch. Apparently this friend of his, Cadrane, thought it would be $2,000 was worth more than his friendship, so he's like, I. Think I think I saw David Milgard coming back with bloody clothes on that same night. What a good friend, hey? The other two friends that were with him were like, no, no, it wasn't him. He was with us all day. But then all of a sudden they started like looking at those two guys, like maybe they were suspicious. So they started like, hey, yeah, it was Milgard for sure. It was Milgard for sure. 1970, a year after the murder, he was uh, convicted, tried and convicted, and was placed in prison for a lifetime. Spent 23 years in prison for a crime he did not commit crazy, only 23 years later to be exonerated, to be released and to be compensated for the injustice done to him. We hear stories like that and we think, wow, what an injustice, what an injustice. Yet if we stop to think about this, the injustice done to Jesus Christ at Easter, not just an innocent man, but a perfect man. Not just a good guy, he was a God man, he was in God in the flesh, he was God in the injustices done to him at Easter. John chapter one tells us that he was God in the beginning, it was the word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Colossians one in him in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of the Easter scenarios happened to God himself. Hebrews chapter 1, he is, he is the exact imprint of God. What an injustice. When you think about Easter in that sense, don't, isn't it true? What an injustice. And yet we know in the end there is justice served because Jesus satisfied the wrath of God on human sin by taking it upon himself. Injustice, man's injustice is God's ultimate justice. And so this is where we're gonna pick up the story in Luke chapter 22. We're just gonna look at uh, this Easter season, the, um, the uh, betrayal, arrest, trial, conviction, death sentence, and death of Jesus Christ. Picking up the story in verse 47, let me read for you a small section, and then we're gonna keep going here and just understand this fully of all that... And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you day after day in the temple? You did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them, all these men that just captured Jesus. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Catch that one. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord Jesus, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him, kept asking, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Even just in the arrest of Jesus, such injustices done to the Son of God really makes the story come alive in our hearts. I know you've heard all this before. You've heard all this before. The temptation is to now tune out and say, I've heard this before. But let the reality catch you again. The injustices done to Jesus that he allowed to be done to him. Why? Because he loves you that much. He loves me that much. This is what had to happen that we might have a relationship with God. Let's look at this story and just break it down. Same story, fresh take. An innocent Jesus, think of it just just around the arrest of Jesus with such a scandal, even the arrest of Jesus with with payouts and sellouts and mockouts. Let's think of this. An innocent Jesus, first and foremost, faced this the blow of betrayal. An innocent Jesus faced the blow of betrayal. And if you've been betrayed before, live long enough, you'll be be betrayed you know the painstinking reality of what this really means. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own. Look back with me to chapter 22, verse 1. Same, same book, just same chapter, just the verse that starts this whole plot to kill Jesus. Anytime you see the word plot, you understand already that there's going to be some injustice done. Usually when you know, someone goes to get arrested, there's a crime committed. It's, it's Clearly obvious this person should be called in and held to count, but, but whenever there's a plot involved, you know that some sort of injustice is on the table and this isn't just a plot to arrest Jesus. Look at this. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes who are supposed to be Christian religious people were seeking out how to put Jesus to death, not just arrest him, but put him to death. Why? Because they feared the people. They were fearing that he was becoming so popular and and the people were following him so closely that he was going to overthrow their government and overthrow their religious system. The people were going to follow him instead of them. And so the plot comes, the plot comes that they're going to kill him. We see in chapter 22, verse 1, the timing of Easter, the timing of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the, the time of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, This is also significant. It's really pointing us back to Exodus chapter 12 and the foreshadowing of what was to come in Exodus chapter 12. Remember Exodus chapter 12 uh, when uh, the the Israelites were in in Egypt and the Egyptians were oppressing them and the 10 plagues happened to God show the Egyptians that these are my people and you can't mess with them. The 10th plague was the firstborn of every household was going to be put to death. But God told his people, God told his people, he said, hey, if you uh, slaughter an innocent, unblemished lamb and you um, put his blood over the doorpost, the frame of your house, the, the, the angel of death will pass over you. And so the Israelites did that, the ones who feared the Lord, and as an act of faith, they slaughtered a lamb. They actually had a feast of unleavened bread and lamb, the same lamb that they slaughtered with with no no, no leftovers, and they waited, and the angel of death came over, and and all the firstborn of the Egyptians died, and the Israelites then, um, Pharaoh said, you know, go, get out of here. Moses led his people out, and that was the time of freedom, the time of the exodus, all foreshadowing what was to come in Jesus Christ, the Messiah who was going to be the ultimate Passover lamb that any heart that covers, anyone who covers their heart with the blood of Jesus will also be free from the curse and the penalty of death. And they will also have freedom. And so it's a time of the Passover. This is not a coincidence. You know, we think of something is a coincidence. This is not a coincidence. Jesus died at just the right time by God's timing. The Passover is the 15th day of Nisan on the Jewish calendar. It's a week-long celebration that comes right around the same time as Easter. So this is a scenario. And then we look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. How's this all going to go down? Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who is a number of the 12. 22 verse 3. This is all leading up to the betrayal of Jesus. I'm skipping some because we covered a lot of this last year in the Easter sermons, but look at verse three. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who is the number of the 12. Significant because Judas, when it says he was a number of the 12, it's identifying him as he was one of his, but it's also bringing to the reality that how close he was to Jesus. Only 12 men were one of the disciples only 12 men were close to Jesus. And so it's really, really bringing home the reality that Jesus was betrayed by somebody that was close to him. And, and it was a man named Judas. One of the big questions we get at Easter. So, like, what, are, what is with this Judas guy? Was, he, he was a disciple, so he must have been saved. Was he really saved? But how can Satan enter someone who is really saved? I thought that couldn't happen. If you're thinking that way, you're correct. It can't happen. If, if Jesus dwells within you, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, he takes up permanent residence within you. And he takes up all of you. He doesn't lease part of your soul. He doesn't rent it out. He doesn't actually welcome even visitors for the night. Jesus dwells in you. Holy Spirit dwells in you. He lives in you. And he's strong enough to keep everybody and everything else out. You are now his and he is yours. So what's this whole thing about Satan entering Judas? Well, Jesus clarifies for us in John chapter 6. He says he knows them very well and he also knows who didn't believe. Making reference to Judas who didn't believe and who is going to betray him. John chapter 6, let me write your verses down so you can not just take my word for it, so you can uh, write it down and look it up after. John chapter 6, 64 to 65. Jesus is saying, hey, I know everybody, I know everything, and I even know those who are among us who don't really believe Makes it simple, doesn't it? Judas didn't really believe. That's how Satan entered him. So what was Judas then? He, was a, he, was a, he was probably got an A in acting class when he was a kid. He was a guy that was really observant and could watch everybody and he could be like, well, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it with the right eyes and with the right facial expressions. Judas was like a perfect actor. And so he plays right into God's plan here. He's one of the 12. Starting at verse 47 now, just so you understand the context of this, this is how Jesus was arrested. One of his own is going to betray him. He's going to sell him out for this plot to kill him because ultimately he did nothing wrong. Innocence, he did nothing wrong. Put him to death, not because he committed a crime, because they feared for the people. They were afraid of losing their own status. And so verse 47 is where you kind of pick that up. And so verse 47 here is, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas. You're making it clear who did it, right? It's Judas, it's one of the 12, not some other Judas, just like there's a lot of Peters in this world. There's probably a few Judases back then, but Judas one of the 12, again, remember? One of the ones close to Jesus, how injustice, that's how much of an injustice this is. Well, one of the ones close to Jesus was leading them. This is a man who didn't just know a about Jesus. He knew Jesus in every sense of the word. He walked with him. He talked with him. They were buds. They were friends. They were supposed to have each other's backs. Anyone who's been betrayed by someone close knows it's one thing to get snitched out by an acquaintance. It's one thing to get snitched out by somebody who's maybe a few degrees removed, but somebody who's close. It's just not what? What do we say? It's just not fair. It's not right. It's an injustice. Why would Judas do this? Why would he be so close and sell them out? We know from other pastors that Judas did this for, get it, get it money. He really sold them out for money, 30 pieces of silver, to be honest, which doesn't sound like a lot. Big deal in their day, but it's to fulfill prophecy from Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Well, he was still speaking, there came a crowd. This man, Judas, he's actually fulfilling a prophecy from hundreds of years before. How do you know when the Messiah comes? Well, he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and Judas is actually living out prophecy. So he leads a group of people. He's coming with a group of people, a crowd, it says. A crowd. Verse 52, we see who the crowd is, not who you'd expect. It's chief priests, it's people who are in the temple, it's officers of the temple, it's elders. It's the spiritual ones. He cuts Jesus off. I was always told not to cut off your elders. Imagine cutting off the son of God. Injustice. Jesus said to him, Judas, he drew near to Jesus and he betrayed him with a kiss. He kissed him. Jesus says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Again, the kiss is a symbol of closeness. Back in this day, it was probably a customary kiss that they would, you know, kind of like the French, you know, the kiss, kiss, the kiss, kiss, the uh, kiss, kiss. Sort of the same thing, but this is a different kind of kiss. This is like a, a kiss of, like, this is a disciple and a master kiss. This was like a special kind of, of, I don't know what kind of, what it looked like, but it was a special, like, it was significant that people knew, like, this was one of them. Even today, we kiss those that we love. It's a sign of friendship and loyalty of all signs, of all deceitful signs. He chose the kiss. Dagger through the heart of Jesus. Jesus, oh, being a willing participant in this whole thing, he wasn't caught off guard. You know that, right? It wasn't like, like, oh, it's Judas. I never knew. Jesus knew. Look what he says. I love his response. Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Would you betray me with a kiss? In other words, like, really, Judas? Really, really, really? Of all the, a kiss? How intimate, how special. You know, one of the unique things about Luke is this phrase, son of man. The other gospel accounts don't give, don't refer to Jesus as a son of man in this context. Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. Son of man in the New Testament comes up about 88 times, 81 in the gospels. And it's really a, a, Jesus saying that, that he is the Messiah, it's a messianic title, he, Son, capital S, meaning Son of God, but then not just Son of God, but of man, in other words, of a woman. He is fully divine, fully God, and yet also fully human, fully of a woman. Adding more insult to injury is not just betraying anybody. You know, betraying me, it's one thing, but betray the Son of Man, the one who came, the one who came for the sole purpose of rescuing souls forever and reuniting us with God. This is also a fulfillment of a prophecy. There's a couple prophecies being fulfilled right here in these first few verses we're looking at. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14 um, is a Son of Man prophecy that Jesus is saying, that's me that's me, you're betraying me. And everyone else around would have known what he's saying. They're not like, what's he talking about? They knew the Old Testament. Wow, they knew that he was saying that he is the son of man. And this is, uh, he is the one being betrayed. The title that is used of Jesus to show that he's been given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Notice this in verse 48. Notice what's not said. Jesus doesn't like drop a smoke bomb and try and like get a dodge out of there. He doesn't put up his fists and start like, okay, boys, let's get him. He doesn't start smooth talking. like Jesus. Was, he, he, he had his way with words. You know that, right? He didn't start talking. He just said this to Judas. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Here's what, here's what Luke's doing. Luke is, is kind of, you know, those, those movie scenes that have the whole pan out of the whole thing going down. Luke's just like taking it and he's like just coming right in on Judas and Jesus. He just, he just coming right in. He's trying to make this really pronounced for us. He's, he's coming right in to, to show us the intimacy and the power and the pain, even in the betrayal. You know those movie scenes where you kind of get the tears going and the throat choked up? This is where that would happen if you're watching a movie. You're like, I can't, I can't believe this is happening. This isn't right. Disciples, though, they clue clue into what's going on. And those who were around him saw uh, what would follow. They're like, hey, this isn't going well. This, Jesus is really gonna be uh, arrested. So uh, look what they said. Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And before Jesus could answer one of them, whom we know as Peter from other passages, he, he grabs whether it's his sword or someone else's sword. It's not his first rodeo, clearly. He knew how to handle the sword. He goes and he cuts one of the servant's ears off. The guy's name's Malchus, we learned from the book of John. I shared this with you last year. It's, it's not just like he was like, like you know Cut his ear off just to, you know, like, prove a point. Like, Peter's like, he's, he's bold, he's brash, he's not shy, right? He's like, should we get him, Jesus? Before Jesus is that, he's like, he takes out a sword, he's like, he's going for the head. He's like, he's severing that thing. He's swinging for the fences. Except the, server, the, the other guy he's trying to get, he's pretty quick too. And he just got his ear. Without even skipping a beat. Without even skipping a beat. Notice Jesus compared to Peter. Peter's fired up. That's what we like about him, right? He makes all kinds of dumb decisions. That's, that's what we relate to Peter. Jesus. We don't see him get angry too much. Except with his own in the New Testament. Look what he says. No more of this. Like cut it out. Knock it off. Like a dad to his kids. Knock it off, Peter. Simply bends down. I'm assuming he picked up the ear since it was cut off. Touched his ear back on his head like Mr. Potato Head and he healed him. Notice this though. This is just showing the injustice. This is bringing out the injustice of what's going on here in a greater way. Jesus' kingdom isn't going to be one with violence. He's going to willfully die for God's plan. Jesus is showing that Jesus is truly innocent. He's got not an evil bone in his body. He's not coming to, to upend anything. He's coming at the will of the Father. He's not a dangerous revolutionary of what they're accusing him of. That's all they had on him. He's a dangerous revolutionary that's, that's claiming to be the Son of God, which are, are one false, the other one true. He's just speaking truth. Couldn't be charged with treason or violence or any other political agenda. This is just showing us that, that there's, they've truly got nothing against Jesus, Even he says this in verse 52, he touches the guy's ear. That should cause everyone's jaw to drop, don't you think? Don't you think if you're one of the ones coming to get Jesus and saying, he's not the son of God, you watch someone's ear get cut off, you watch him pick it up and put it back on, you would be like, okay, I'm done. I dropped my club, like clearly. Don't you think? Apparently their hearts are pretty hard. Then Jesus says this to all those who came. Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? Like, what are you doing? I was with you day after day in the temple, and you don't lay your hands on me, but this is also unique. This last sentence here in verse 53 is unique to Luke. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Said in different ways in the other gospels, but this is Luke just saying, hey, hey, hey. This is this is Satan's hour for right now. So like let her go, Satan. You better like, this is your this is your hour on stage. Like, do what you gotta do, because after this hour, you're shut down, buddy. That's what's happening. This is your hour. Jesus is saying, you know what? Darkness can rain. That's all you have to do. Darkness is done, right? Darkness can rain. For this hour, because there is a plan and a purpose to this, even this injustice. Let's just stop there for a second before we go on. What do we learn from this? It's a great narrative, right? It kind of grips us, but what do we learn from this? We we learn that Jesus chose to endure the blow of betrayal simply that I would find a faithful friend in God. Is that amazing? Why would Jesus go through this? He chose to endure the blow. It's a blow, betrayal. You and I have both been betrayed before. Even though I'm talking about betrayal, you probably there's, there's people in your head that pop up. There's emotions in your soul that are starting to like get a little antsy. You're starting to, I, I, I feel the pain. You feel the pain. Why would Jesus be willing to go through the, the blow of betrayal? It is simply for this, that you and I would even have a shot at coming face to face with a faithful friend named God. <laughs> One who promises, one who promises that he will never turn his back on his own. One who is faithful and true. I don't know about you, but after going through my few times of betrayal in life and they seem to come, I never want to go through that again. Even in the back of your mind, you're thinking, like, is there anyone that's faithful? Can I trust anyone? Like, death is one thing, right? Someone dies and it's sad and you mourn, but betrayal, like, like, they're still alive and they choose to do life without you, it just <laughs> There is one who will always be faithful. There's only one who will never fail you, never let you down, who promises to never abandon you. His name is God, as seen through his son Jesus. God will never turn his back on his own. This is why Jesus went through all these injustices, that God would offer us an opportunity to meet him, a faithful friend, the most faithful friend who will never betray you. Let's keep going. The hour of darkness. Verse 54, not only did Judas betray Jesus, Peter then goes to deny Jesus in this whole injustice of the arrest. Verse 54, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. Jesus finds himself on his way now to a religious high court ready for a quote-unquote trial. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat down among them. Here's a scenario of what's happening here. Uh, Not only did Jesus endure the injustice of betrayal, he's going to endure the injustice of denial from one of his very, very close friends. If betrayal is evil, denial is the evil twin sister of betrayal. It's one thing to be sold out by another, it's another thing to be completely denied by another. In other words, like, I don't even know you, I wish you were dead. Up to the intensity of the hours before Jesus died, his spirit is being crushed far before his body ever would. So they're leading Jesus into this high priest's house. It's the middle of the night now. And when's the last time you ever heard of a nightcap at court? Oh, you haven't, right? Neither, neither have I. It wasn't even common in this day. This is another part of the injustice. They're, they're having a nighttime trial. House of the high priest is either Annas or Caiaphas. They're not sure which one, but the reality is, it's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night. And they're conjuring up all these things to try and and pin Jesus down. And again, just showing you the injustice of the whole scenario. And then Peter is here. Peter's following. You think, oh, he's following at a distance. He's going to be. He's going to show his true colors. He's the brave warrior. That just cut the guy's ear off, right? He's going to. Uh, he's going to swing in from the rafters, and he's going to save the day. And he's going to grab Jesus. They're going to go, and it's going to be amazing. Go, Peter. If you hadn't read the story before, that's what you might think. He's going to somehow try and free him. We know a lot about Peter. Peter was one of not just the 12, but the three. Jesus had three that we had 12 that were close, three that were tight, kind of like brothers, the brotherhood. Peter, James, and John. Peter's the one that stands out because his name means stone or rock. Peter's been through thick and thin with Jesus. He's, been, he's, he's got a scrapbook full of memories. He was there for all the, a lot of the, all the big events. He's seen Jesus do wonders. Remember how Jesus, Peter got called to be Jesus' disciple? He's fishing all night with his buddies, and they come in, they didn't catch a thing. And Jesus said, Hey, why don't you go, you go throw your, your nets out in that lake? They're like, Buddy, we just threw our nets out in the lake. Go try it again. They went out again, threw their nets in, and there was so much fish, their boats were sinking. Jesus' like, Hey, follow me. Peter's like, I'm in. Peter's one of the only disciples of the inner three that were there when Jairus' daughter got raised from the dead. Like, that's a pretty significant thing. Like, that's like a, a mental memory that you'll never forget, eh? Dead, Jesus, alive. Wow. Like, he's seen miracles. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? When uh, Jesus and Moses and Elijah, they all came down, and Jesus was in, his, in his all his shining glory. Well, there's only three people that were there. One of them was Peter. Peter's the one in verse 33. Look back at verse 33. Look at verse 33, when Jesus foretells Peter's denial, Peter says this to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison. You going to prison? Me too, we're bros. And to death. This is Peter. He's like the guy that wasn't just doing the pinky swear, you know, like, oh, pinky swear, best friends forever, you know, like, like he's got the tattoo of Jesus on his arm. Jesus. Anyone that can, Jesus can count on, it's Peter, for sure. But then 54 comes, and 55, and it's just so backwards. They take Jesus into the high priest's house for a trial. I mean, like, already, like, we'd be calling for mistrial, and, and he can't be convicted of anything. This is a mistrial. You know, officers write our, our speeding tickets wrong. not that I've ever gotten one in my life. Kidding. They write our speeding tickets wrong and we can get off, right? Because they wrote it wrong. He can get off just by the fact that they're doing it all backwards. And yet, they come in and Peter then, in all his shining glory, he's lingering behind. This is all showing that he's following at a distance. He's actually not just there to come up with a plan. He's actually starting to slowly disassociate himself from Jesus. And you're like, man, how much can Jesus go through? He's following at a distance, It's like the Christian who acts tough at church and shrinks back when the world pressure comes in. This is Peter. Talks all big, talks all big, talks all big. Turn up the heat. He's starting to sweat. Then this little servant girl comes up to him and says, hey, hey. You know, they're sitting around the fire. Remember, he's sitting around the fire with all those that just, like, arrested Jesus. He's sitting by the fire with the buddies of those that he just cut one of their buddies' ears off. So he's probably got his hoodie up, tied to the little... Tighter, you know, so we can't see him. This girl's looking in the light, and she's like, I think, I think, isn't that, aren't you with them? And Peter's like, yes! And then, you know, he's gonna go AWOL. Hey, well, he doesn't. He's like, no, 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 no. You're mistaken. I'm not with them. Like, this, this is like him being embarrassed to be with Jesus. but This little servant girl, like, she didn't matter. She had no power. She had, she had nothing. It's like, gonna go to a restaurant, and we're like, we're embarrassed because we're praying in front of the waitress. Like, what's up with that? This is Peter. Then a little, a little bit later, a little bit later, Another guy comes up, and he's like, you were with him? He's like, I was not. You know, we all of those moments where it's a little bit of a brain cramp, right? And we're like, oh, why did that come out of my mouth? Shoot, you know? I didn't really mean that. It's not what's happening with Peter. Like, this is calculated now. Like, it's twice. And then an hour passes. Another person comes up and says, so, so this, this is now all survival mode. This isn't like, he couldn't look back. Oh, that was a bit of a hiccup, you know? Sorry, messed up. hour later, so aren't you a Galilean? Like, you're one of them. Peter's like, I am not. This is, he he said it so boldly, so profoundly that it was like he was, he was invoking curses on himself. Like, I swear on the Bible. I swear on my father's grave. I'm not one of them. Like, he's not just disassociated from the disciples now. Like, he's fully disassociated himself from everything to do with Jesus and the Jesus movement. And no sooner, verse 60, has this come off his lips. That he says, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately while well, the crowd, well, he was still speaking. While well, he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Can you imagine this reality? Put yourself in Peter's shoes. The rooster crowed, and that sound must have not just penetrated his ears, but pierced his heart. Oh, stupid. Jesus told me it was gonna happen. Then he told him after that, go and pray, go and pray, go and pray. Remember, Peter was too tired, he was sleeping. Why did I just go and pray? Why did I think I was above that? And as he's looking around, going, Did anyone notice? Did anyone notice? Guess we don't know where Jesus was. Just a courtyard, right? So probably he's up being moved from one room to another to this trial of his and all the injustice. And somehow Peter and Jesus, their eyes lock. One commentator said this is the most powerful verse of emotion in the whole gospel's account. Their eyes lock. You ever done something wrong and your dad walks in the room and he catches your eye and you just know you're caught? Why well, do I always feel like it's just me that has these times here. Like, you guys look at me like, no, no. <laughs> like, nod or something, right? And you just know. Sometimes your dad has that fire in his eyes, you know what I mean? And you're like, then you start running. But sometimes it's not the fire. Sometimes it's just the eyes of Disappointment. Sadness, love, and grace. Those times hurt way more than the eyes of fire, don't you agree? I believe it wasn't eyes of fire that locked. I believe it was eyes of sadness, disappointment, love, like I love you, Peter. I love you, Peter. And also grace. Grace. Peter? Oh, Peter. Talk about injustice. One of the 12 betrays him, now one of the three denies him. This is two out of 12. The odds aren't going up, are they? Again, let's try and put ourselves. Somehow, in this picture, you want how much Jesus loves you? He wasn't just willing to be betrayed for you. He was willing to be denied for you. Like I said, this is one of those, like betrayal is one thing. Denial is like, I never want to see you again. You're out of my life forever. I wish you were dead. That's sort of like a denial. Why would he do this? Why would this injustice be done to a king? Here's what I believe. Jesus endured this denial so that you could be internally embraced by God. Jesus endured denials so that you and I could be eternally embraced by God, and we would know a God who, who will never, will never hear these words from God if you're a believer today, "I never knew you." It could only happen if Jesus was willing to go through this. Here's the third thing: The injustice continues. Jesus withstood the humiliation of mocking. Jesus withstood the humiliation of mocking. Add insult to injury. He wasn't just taken to the religious court. He was roughed up along the way. We've all seen those police brutality videos where the, even the, the bad guys are getting a work over. and You're like, injustice, injustice. Let him go, injustice. Look what's happened to Jesus. It's total chaos and ar- anarchy. Now, the men who were holding Jesus in custody, remember, these are the religious men. They were mocking him, having fun with him, making fun of him, teasing him, saying things like this, prophesy, who is it that struck you? They put a blindfold over his face and like, ah, bam, like, who got you that time, Jesus, son of God? You think you're so smart, who just, who just kicked, you in the, kicked you in the teeth? Prophesy, Jesus, snicker, 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 couldn't even get his hands up, he didn't know where he was coming from, couldn't even get his hands up to defend himself. They said many other things against him, blaspheming him. Blasphemy. As this is all going on, on the abusive speech and slander, speaking against, misusing his name. They weren't calling him the son of God, that's for sure. They're probably calling him a son of something else. If you know Jesus, you're sitting here. Man, you love him, even though you never met him, you love him. Can you imagine one of your kids going through something like this, watching that? Devastating. And to think of it, like one flick of a finger, and this is all over, right? I remember getting picked on a little bit as a kid, and I remember one day in the schoolyard, this kid kept picking on me, picking on me, picking on me. That's enough! Like I can't take it anymore. You turn around, yeah, gave him the one, two, three, and all that other stuff, and all of a sudden he became my friend pretty quick. End it. Jesus could have ended it. He could have ended it. Why did he endure? He endured. The mocking and humiliation and the shame of the blasphemy to his face. This proverbial spit in the face. Why? That we might be given the opportunity to be affirmed by God. He allowed his name, even in this moment, even leading up to his crucifixion, to be nothing. That ours would be something before God for all who turn to Jesus for forgiveness of sin. It's an interesting part of the Easter story. We're going to get into the trials next week. I'm going to not get there. I'm going to make sure I don't step on Andy's toes because Andy's preaching that next week. Don't want to steal his thunder. I just want to think about this whole arrest thing. This whole idea of the arrest and and, and how this plays out, what it means to you and I. Injustice for sure, but what, is, what does this all mean for us today in 2019 in St. Catharines, living in this day and age? What does this mean to us? This happened like 2,000 years ago. We can't petition and get this case, court case overturned. We don't want to, anyways, because we know the outcome, right? We know that it seems injustice, but God is ultimate justice. What does this mean for us? What does this tell us about Jesus? What does this tell us about us? Here's what it tells us about Jesus it demonstrates Jesus' devotion to his Father. His first priority from Start to finish with simply to honor his father for God's glory. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 3, 1 and 2. First and foremost, Jesus didn't do this for you and I. We always want to make the story about you and I. It's about me, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. First and foremost, Jesus did this for God. For the glory of God, not for the glory of man, for the glory of God. So that God's name would be exalted so that all would see God in this indescribable way that we could never come up with on our own. His first priority was to honor God. Listen to this in Hebrews 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, that'd be us who are saved today, consider Jesus. Consider him the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus went through this whole Easter story, first and foremost, to be faithful to God himself. Jesus lived in perfect obedience even when it cost him everything. Not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally too. This is what God expects of us, this devotion to him. A holy God demands perfect obedience, but who can do that? Adam couldn't do that. Our first first man in the universe couldn't do that. Your father couldn't do it. I can't do it. My son can't do it. Jesus did it for us. He lived up to all of God's expectations and he walked the path that we could never walk. Demonstrates Jesus' devotion to his father. It also does this. It exemplifies Jesus' commitment to me. It exemplifies Jesus' commitment to me. Listen to what it says in Jeremiah 31.3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. You never see Jesus' faithfulness more clearly than you do in the Easter story. I've continued my faithfulness to you because I've loved you with an everlasting love. This is a personal reality for you and I today. Jesus didn't just go go through this for the world. He went through this for you and for I. This one says in Galatians 1, 3, and 5, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. It was our sins that caused this to rescue us from the present age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. You know what Jesus is doing in this text? He's demonstrating his commitment to you and I, to all who would turn to Him through faith and repentance. He's demonstrating his commitment to us. I've done many weddings as a pastor. The traditional vows go something like this: You know, like I'll, I will, um, I promise to be with you in richer and poor, in sickness and health, in good and bad, till death do us part. And we say those things in front of everybody when we get married. It's such a beautiful day. And then the test of those vows comes, really comes to light like a year later and two years later and four years later and five years later. Do you really mean it? Do you really mean it? Do you really mean it? Here's what Jesus is doing. He shows us he really means it even before the wedding feast. I'm committed. You turn to me through faith and repentance. I'm committed to you. You want to know how committed I am? Read the Easter story again. Read the Easter story again. In Jesus, we clearly see God's love for his own. But there's another reality I want to pull out from these texts. I think also in these scriptures, we also see this. We see a glimpse of our sinful selves in Judas, in Peter, and in the mockers. We see ourselves in the sellout. We see ourselves in the denier. We see ourselves in the mocker. Maybe not today, but that's who we once were. This Easter story reminds us, it reminds us that Jesus endured for the betrayers. Jesus endured for the betrayers. Every one of us, at times, and still does, betrays Jesus in our thoughts, and our words, and our actions. We come to these places in life where we know the truth, but we choose to believe a lie. We speak one reality, but we live out another. We sell out Jesus more often than we like to admit. Judas sold out for 30 pieces of silver. How many of us have sold out because we put our bank accounts on a higher place in our lives, higher place of priority than Jesus Christ himself? We're selling them out. How many times have we sold out Jesus? How many times have we sold out Jesus because we want to be with an in-group and we, we want to be with a certain group? And How many times have you and I, even maybe recently, chose to be in with the world over in with Christ? We sell out Jesus every time we place something as an idol in our hearts. It can be, idols can be anything. Idols can be anything. Something that we say, if only we could have, if only we could have this, then I'll have it all. That's an idol. How many times have you sold out Jesus because you've chosen this, whatever it is in your life, your house, your car, your job, your retirement plans, your kids, your moms and dads, you've chosen this over Jesus Christ. Maybe you're there today and you're like, I have idols, I know it. Let me tell you this, Jesus died for betrayers. Jesus didn't die for betrayers. Jesus died for deniers. Jesus persisted for deniers. How many times have you in your life locked glazes with locked eyes with Jesus Christ, knowing that you sure have let him down this time. You should have stood up and you sat down. You should have spoken up and you said nothing. People ask you, "Where are you going Sunday?" and you're just going like, to hang out this weekend?" People ask you where your hope is. You've even been in those times probably where just like me where you know you should say something, the Holy Spirit's prompting you. Instead of opening your mouth, you just clamp her shut. And then you go home and you ah, you get your Bible open, you lock eyes with Jesus. You lock eyes with Jesus. And it's so painful. When, P- when Peter wept, you know that, that word wept? It's, it's like weeping is in like the mourning of the loss of a loved one. Like He wept, and you've wept, and you wonder, can Jesus ever forgive me? Can Jesus ever forgive me? I want to remind you of this today. Jesus died to forgive the deniers, amen? This is the love and grace of Jesus. He died to forgive betrayers. He died to forgive the deniers. Maybe you're in here today, and you're denying Jesus. You're denying Jesus. You're only here because you're... Someone brought you here. You're here because you thought it would be a good place to go on Sunday, but you've you've denied Jesus. You want to, can you ever forgive me? Jesus went through all this because he loves to forgive the deniers and bring them to himself. It's not just like, man, I can't betray Jesus, man, I can't deny Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. But when we do, because we're all human, Peter the Rock, Peter the Rock, it's like a wrestler, right? The rock. You think you're better than Peter the Rock? Oh, I'd never betray. I'd never deny. Think again. But when you do know this, Jesus is willing to forgive you and bring you back. Jesus even died for the mockers. Jesus even died for the blasphemers. He suffered for those who've taken the name of the Lord in vain. He went through this for those who don't give a rip about his name. Ever been in that place where you Hit your thumb with the proverbial hammer, and out comes a blasphemous word off your lips. Ever been in that place where somebody else is using Jesus' name in vain and you just sit by idly and just keep doing your thing? Or even worse, you laugh along. <laughs> Ever been in that place where you get frustrated with life and you start throwing your fists up at Jesus and things come off your lips that you could not even believe would come off your lips in that moment of humanness, in that moment of pain, and that moment of confusion. You just, you let her all go, and you come out after her, and you're like, how can Jesus ever forgive me? Here's the Easter story. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Who's a sinner in this room? Of all of us, every one of us. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ went through all of these injustices. This was a sham arrest. You're going to find out it's going to be a r- mockery of a trial. It's going to be an injustice of a conviction, and of a death, but Jesus went through this for sinners like us that we can have forgiveness of sin, get rid of the guilt and shame, and come and live with our God forever and ever. Isn't the gospel beautiful? It's not just a story of Easter. It's not just I've heard this before. It becomes personal now because I can admit to you I've been in those places betraying and denying and mocking before I became saved and the temptation to do it even after you're saved in those dark moments of life. Easter story tells us Jesus loves us. And if you will, by faith and repentance, repentance is getting on your knees and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, just like Peter was about to do later on. I'm sorry, not just crying tears of sorrow and sadness, but tears of true repentance. I'm sorry, Jesus, forgive me. I will get up and I will follow you and I will love you. And with your strength, I will aim to never do that again. But if I do, I know you're gonna be there to hold on to me and carry me the next leg of the journey. Just showing us this injustice was just bringing out the love of God for us, for you and I. Paul says later on in the Gospels, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. I don't know, I think it's a big competition for chief of sinners. There's one standing right here before you, and I think think it'd give Paul a run for his money. But the grace of God, Easter's really a story of the grace of God. Let that sink into your heart today as we take communion. We're going to keep worshiping. I'm just going to let these truths sink in your heart. I'm not going to say much more about communion. I'm just going to let these words sink deep in your heart. Jesus came. Jesus came and endured all these injustices for be the betrayer of which I am, of the denier for which I am, of the mocker and even, even the blasphemer. And if you today will turn to Jesus, repent of your sin and put your faith in him, he will forgive you and show you the grace of God in a brand new, fresh, undeserved, but unbelievable way. Think of these truths. as The worship team comes. Think of these truths as we uh, take communion together. I'm gonna ask you to sit in your seats and just think of the grace of God. Think of the grace of God. Chief of sinner, who is it? It's, it's not Paul, it's not Peter, it's not me, it's you. You're the chief of sinners. And each is about Jesus coming to do something about your sinful nature that keeps you from God forever. Think about it, if you're here today and you're like, man, this meant nothing to my soul, ask God to fire up your soul, because if this doesn't fire up your soul, I'm not sure what will. If you have no spiritual heartbeat today you don't, you don't, and never turn to Jesus, ask God, God, give me a spiritual heartbeat today. Help me not just to know these things, but to believe them and to internalize them and to live like they're true for those of you today who are here walking with God just thank him again for the grace we live by grace alone we sang it today but it's true we live by grace alone who are we but by the grace of God thank you God for Easter just have a little time of worship in your seat thanking God for Easter communion servers come there's two cups in each slot the wafer on the bottom the juice on top gluten free wafers in the middle for those who truly need it take them hold on to them if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior these are moments for you we invite you to join us. It's the family of God. It's not just our church, not just our little affiliation. It's the family of God. This is for all those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to once again bask in the glory of Jesus. If you don't know Christ today, we would encourage you to pass it by. The scriptures are super clear on it. It says if you don't know Jesus, you're actually, you're actually joining in the mockery and the blaspheming by taking and eating and drinking of this. And you're actually trampling on the body of Jesus and the cross of Jesus Christ once again. And so we'd encourage you not to do that. There's strict punishment for that. And God doesn't take, take this lightly. So we're not trying to judge you. We're just trying to put you in a good place with God. And if you're not there today, just pass it by and just just ask God, God, make this real in my heart. Show me, open my eyes to see, my heart to understand. uh, If this is true, if you are true, God, if this grace is true, I want it today. Let's all let God minister to us in our seats and then I will come up and lead us in communion in just a few minutes. Hold on to them and have a little worship service in your seat of the glory and the grace of Jesus.